a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hi, everyone. Welcome to GeoFOB Livestream. Uh, today's guest is going to be Dr. Melinda Greer. So um, I will be talking to her about uh, several different modalities because uh, she's pretty much experienced, you know, bit or a lot of, you know, all of these. So I want to find out how much, you know, in a few. So um, she actually was uh, contributed a chapter uh, in to the, I think it's called The Greater Reality, which is a book that um, Ray Hernandez and the team has uh, written about. And uh, maybe she can tell me a little bit about that as well. But um, for now, I just uh, wanted to basically say um, uh, regarding past Wednesday, I know some of you might have gotten a message or um, you know, or maybe not. I couldn't do an open lines. And so I always try to just meet with with you guys online at least once a week, but sometimes things come up and I really just get too swamped. So, but I promise next Wednesday, um, we'll have uh, plenty to talk about, um, to make it up to you guys. I at least posted a video of a really cool looking shifting, um, object, UFO, whatever you, you want to call it. So check it out on Telegram. And uh, speaking of Telegram, we're also simultaneously broadcasting uh, voice only over Telegram. And you can use uh, the voice chat in there to also come uh, Q&A. You can ask uh, Melinda uh, the question or you can ask the question yourself and um, hear the answer. And uh, But if you're too shy and you don't want to, the the chat will do just fine either on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever you prefer. So let's see here. I think I covered everything I want to cover. So without any further ado, um, Melinda, welcome. You know, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Well, so I figured um, usually, you know, I have a when I want to ask a question. There's um, you know, I always ask the the, uh, the person, you know, how did you get into this? But I don't know that this is something that you get into, you know. So I figured I'll just leave it up to you to kind of start out what, which one of the models was the first thing that kind of happened to you. Um, and um, I guess maybe start from there. Okay. Um, I have to say it's been a lifelong process, but probably it all started when I was around five or six years old. 
I mean, looking back retrospectively, that's probably when things started for me that I'm aware of. Um, I had a what might be called a near-death experience or a near-death-like experience. I really don't know. I was just a kid, <laughs> so I really don't know how close to death I was. I thought I was dying, so um, might call it a near-death-like experience. Whether I would have died or not, I don't know. But um, long story short, I was probably septic, which is a serious infection after a cat bite. And um, I don't know why my parents didn't realize how sick I was, but I remember being put to bed and um, told I'd be okay in the morning and uh, thinking I was going to die because I felt that bad. And during the night, um, I was sicker and sicker. My temperature was higher and higher, and I was really too sick to get out of bed and go seek any help. And I remember going to a place, um, it was very, it was, it's hard to explain. It was total darkness, um, but it was a loving darkness. It, it was like embodiment of love. I can't explain it. Um, and there I was, I was not a three-dimensional creature. I was able to see in all directions at once, uh, you know, 360 <laughs> vision, uh, spherical vision, I guess you would call it. Um, I remember being able to have sense, sensory input that I don't have here in this world. Um, I remember being enveloped, a sense of almost like a parental um, love, you know, and something that was comforting me and showing me the universe. I remember seeing like planets and stars and just, you, you know, galaxies and things like that. I mean, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. And then... You know, I woke up and I remember immediately just, you know, breaking into tears. I mean, I, did, <laughs> I didn't realize, hey, you know, you're well, you don't have a fever, um, you're not sick anymore. I was just profoundly um, upset that, you know, I wasn't in that place anymore and that I wasn't surrounded by that love anymore. And um, I remember <laughs> kind of pitching a bit of a tantrum in my bedroom um, and then just going on with my life and not thinking much about it. But after that happened, um, I had a lot of things that occurred. Um, that wasn't my only near-death experience. I'll talk about, since we're on that subject, I'll talk about the second one, which sure. in 2013, if that's okay. Um, as an adult, I was... Um, so I would have been 55. Uh, I was in a, a CVICU. You know, I was in critical care. They thought I had a dissecting aortic aneurysm. I'd been sent in a helicopter because the referring hospital thought I had a dissecting aortic aneurysm, which is basically the aorta coming out of your heart was about to burst is what they thought. And I mean, <laughs> it was pretty detailed and everything like that. The night before, I'd actually been taken to the OR. They had the heart-lung machine prepped uh, with my A-negative blood. And um, then they decided after doing an echocardiogram where they actually put a probe down into my esophagus and looked at it, the heart from the side that I didn't have that. They didn't know what was wrong, but um, they decided not to do the surgery, thankfully, so I don't have a big scar. And um, I went, woke up the next morning with a sore throat in the CVICU. So then they wanted me to go to another building and I found found out that it was actually, you had to go down through this long tunnel to, it was actually under a roadway, this long tunnel uh, 
to an elevator underground to go to this other building that was across the road. Um, and while I was going in route there, my nurse was pushing me in a wheelchair. And that's when this other near-death experience occurred. Um, I still had an arterial line in my wrist from the night before. So they were able to, because of telemetry, which it was, you know, remotely giving my blood pressure and my heart rate and that sort of thing back to the ICU techs that were monitoring all this. And anyway, they started seeing a decrease, but I didn't think anything was wrong. I remember getting towards the end of that long tunnel, you know, underground and we're heading towards the elevator and I started losing my vision and my hearing. And I told the nurse that something wasn't right. I was about to pass out. And she says, do we need to go back to the CVICU? I said, I think so. And um, I said, I think I need to get on the floor. <laughs> and I tried to get on the floor. And the last thing I remembered was her yanking me up by my hair and my hospital gown back into the wheelchair. Um, and then after that, I went to this wonderful place um, that I didn't, you know, it was, it was like the first time, except instead of being total darkness and love, it was total light and love. And it, it's like you were saturated with it. The light was everywhere. Um, I don't remember a tunnel. I don't remember any dearly departed. I just remember being back where I belonged and with a group of, I'll just have to call them entities. We weren't physical, <laughs> so energy, I don't know what we were, uh, a group of entities that I had known since the beginning uh, of whatever my existence is. And um, it's like, it's hard to explain if people don't understand it. It's like in one just swoop, <laughs> I downloaded what it was like to be Melinda Greer, you know, on earth all to these beings all at the same time. It was like we were, it's hard to explain. We were like, we were like individuals, but yet we were a part of a group. And I was able to just download everything it was like. It's like all emotions, all memories, all impressions, all beliefs, everything uh, went and just was downloaded into these other entities that were my, you know, my group. And then they downloaded me <laughs> with what I would need to be caught up with that I had missed out, you know, after, you know, being gone. And um, then I just got to have a long, I, there's no time there. So I can't say, you know, it's a thousand years, eternity, whatever. But it seemed like a long period of just kind of some R&R &R because, you know, I was made aware that going to Earth and being in this existence is really tough. And uh, then I needed to relax a bit, I guess. And so I, I got to just, you know, be there and chill for a while. And then kind of came to a consensus that I needed to come back. Uh, like I said, I was an individual, but yet I was part of a group. And the group made the decision. And I wasn't going to go against the group because you just don't do that. And so I, you know, came back. I was a little bit reluctant, but... I did it. And so then the next thing I remember is waking up in the CVICU. Um, I still had tunnel vision. Uh, when you don't have oxygen for a while, you lose your peripheral vision. I can't say how long. I mean, I know I was in asystole because I have the EKG tracing to prove and it says asystole and there's no heart rate. But <laughs> asystole is where you don't have a heartbeat on the EKG. Um, anyway, um, I don't know how long it was. I just know that when I came around, um, 
it was pandemonium, um, a lot of things happening. But I was, even though I found out later and I, I knew I had had seizures because I was in pain all over. I mean, I torn torn muscles having seizures on the way back in that wheelchair. But even though I'd had the seizures and everything, I came back immediately lucid to the point where I was actually almost immediately critiquing the team that was resuscitating me. Um, and, you know, it's kind of amusing. <laughs> you don't usually come back from seizures um, lucid and able to process information. And I was immediately processing information. And then, you know, I had more of a workup and they found some problems in my pulmonary system, but there was nothing wrong with my heart. I told my heart, was told my heart was pristine. There was absolutely nothing. I didn't even have any plaque anywhere. So, you know, the whole thing was kind of mysterious why I was even there. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was fine afterwards. And, you know, it took me a week to recover from it. I was, you know, pretty wiped out and exhausted and everything. But, um, you know... It was a wonderful experience. I highly recommend death. I, I highly recommend it. And it's something I just think about every day. I, I mean, I'm ready to go back. But, I mean, you have to be here. You're, you're here for a reason. You have to fulfill that purpose. And I guess I haven't done it yet. So, anyway, I'm still here. Well, is there something, well, is there that, something that, that was conveyed to you uh, during that time that, that you, were, you were you're here for a reason, you... I would assume you died for a reason too. Was it just to kind of catch back up about, oh, hey, remember who you are and what you're doing here? What, what did you gather more from, from what you already explained? So I've had this, these weird experiences throughout my life and all these different modalities that I'm starting to recognize that term modalities. And each time I would just like, yeah, it happened. I got to go on and I wouldn't process it. I wouldn't come to terms with it. I would just try to bury it. And, you know, you can't talk to and you can talk to people about it nowadays, but two, three, four decades ago, you couldn't talk to people about this sort of thing. And so <laughs> I just think I'm a slow learner and I just <laughs> needed that one more reinforcement to know that, you know, this is real and reality is not what we think it is. And, uh, there's just a lot out there that the average human being is totally unaware of. Um, and we well, just need to have to, a better understanding of reality. Right. Do you, do you want to recap? So first of all, you had a near-death experience. Then you had some experiences with UFOs. And then um, um, you also, I forgot what you called it. You, you said you had an encounter with the her. H U H and what was that? Uh, can you? That's Harry kind of your term. You can also known as Bigfoot. Okay, so, good deal. You know, as a child, I was a, a strange child. I had unusual dreams. I had um, what I now recognize were probably guides of some sort. I really don't know. So there was a lot of things going on in my childhood as well. Um, that were just unusual that I just had to hide from other people because when I talked about it, you, you get crazy. It looks like you've got two heads and you know, you just learn not to talk about it. So, I mean, I can't say that <laughs> I was abducted by aliens or any like thing like that, but I have had a but lot. But you did of have missing time, right? Yes. As an adult, as a child, I, I mostly had, um, it's hard to explain. It's like, 
information would be downloaded into me or put into my head. I would, I, I asked internally, I asked why a lot. I didn't ask my parents because I learned not to do that. I didn't ask, you know, the people at the church. I learned not to do that. Uh, so kind of internally, I'd ask why. And I'd get these answers. And they were correct. I mean, once I got an adult perspective, I knew that they were correct as to, you know, social dynamics and the internal motivations of humans and things like that. I would always just sit around and watch people and wonder why they did the things they did and that kind of stuff. And it was just a lot of information that helped me navigate being a human child and helped me stay safe. And some, I mean, I, I really felt like they looked out for me. Um, and then when I was about 17, uh, I remember sitting on my front step at home and just saying, look, guys, you know, because that's what I, I thought of them as they or them. And they were the they were the guys. I didn't know, you know, who they were or what they were. But I knew that other people didn't seem to have <laughs> that um, kind of input available to them. So, you know, I remember just sitting there and saying, look, I want to be normal. I want to experience what it's like to be normal. I want to experience what it's like to be a normal human being. And um, by golly, you, you don't ask for that kind of stuff unless you really mean it. Because it was like almost instantaneous. It was just withdrawn. And then I had to navigate life without all that help mm-hmm. and actually, you know, learn um, you know, and I was pretty awkward socially and everything like that. So, um, you know, after that, you know, I just became a normal human being for a while and got to navigate life that way. So, um, and then things, you know, were pretty normal until the first UFO. Uh, and that was actually with my husband. Um, I gave you a link uh, to a patent, a U.S. government patent. And that U.S. government patent actually has two um, craft described. One's kind of a diamond-shaped, although I remember it more as manta ray-shaped, like with a diamond with the two flaps down, like bent in half sort of thing, not bent in half, but with downward angles on each corner. Um, and then the other one's triangular. And... Those are mostly what I've seen. Um, well, I only saw the triangular. I saw the diamond-shaped one twice. The triangular ones I saw a lot um, between th- 2002 and 2012, where we used to live in southeast Oklahoma. The diamond-shaped one was more like southeast central Oklahoma, and that was in like mm, 2000. Sorry, 1984 would have been. So. Um, You know, I I talk about these UFOs like I used to think of them as being maybe alien beings coming from another planet. But recently, after finding that patent, I think a year and a half, two years ago, it kind of blew my mind. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but the patent is, I'm just going to read this, a craft using an inertial mass reduction device. And the patent is assigned to the U.S., the United States of America represented by the Secretary of the Navy, Washington, D.C. And, you know, it shows this diamond-shaped craft, and it shows um, a triangular alternative craft, and it talks about how um, by manipulating the quantum vacuum plasma and various, I mean, it has, it has physics. I mean, you have to be a physicist to really understand it all, 
but what I took away from it is that it's able to, through, through this manipulation that using um, what's being described in this patent, they're going to be able to build a craft that is basically inertialess. And that's what we're seeing on these Tic Tac UFO, you know, videos and other things. Uh, and they talk about, you know, something that can come from space, come into the atmosphere and then go underwater. Um, and that's exactly what this patent talks about, submersible um, inertial, inertialess vehicles um, that they just slip from one um, like atmosphere, space I would say. <laughs> to, atm yeah. to air to, to water without, you know, without any kind of interface. It's like nothing to the, this vehicle. Well, just real so, quick, so that the link to the patent is in the description below for those of you watching now and you would like to see it or read it while you're listening to us, you can go there and so check it out. So I have it in the description. I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to ask you to to uh, talk about it a little bit, but you already did now. So well, <clears throat> the, the thing I took ahead. away from the patent, the thing that the thing that blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of that I don't understand about it because it's physics, and I, I detested physics. But let me just read one um, one sentence out of it. It says, if we can engineer the structure of the local quantum vacuum state, we can engineer the fabric of our reality at the most fundamental level. And, you know, it talks about manipulating space and time. So what I took away from that <laughs> when I read it a few years ago was those – Many UFOs that I have seen, why I see so many, I have no idea. And there's there was another form that I saw. Why, I have no idea. But those many UFOs that I have seen don't even have to be happening right now. They could, if they can engineer space to where they can make a vehicle that's inertialess and, you know, defies gravity then they can also manipulate time and it could be happening a hundred years from now. They could actually be doing it and just, you know, manipulating time and coming back here to where we're seeing it, you know, so it could be, it could be, uh, you know, a human being, you know, a human uh, military or, you know, state of some sort behind this. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be from another planet. And I have to say, the triangular ones and the diamond-shaped ones looked like to me something that a human would build. It's just that they were able to motivate and, you know, defy gravity in a, in a way that I don't think humans can do right now. If, if we can, it's not been made public. Um, so you're bringing up this, this pattern based on um, just your observations that what based on what you saw and know about that this pattern – is come close to what you witnessed? Is is that what you're trying to get at? Well, let me, I don't know if you can pick up this picture, but let me just show you. I mean, this is, can you see that at all? Yes. Okay, so that's part of the patent. And, you know, one's diamond shape, one's triangular shape. And, it, you know, in 1984, I saw the diamond shape, you know, twice, two weeks apart. And then from 2002 to 2012, I saw the triangular one oh, at least a dozen times, if uh, probably more. And on three occasions, it actually threw, flew over the top of where I was. And on one occasion, my husband was with me. We were in a vehicle. So, you know, 
other than the fact that it was going low and slow and it was huge, <laughs> um, it, it just looked like something a human could build. Um, mm. Looked like, I mean, it didn't look something that I couldn't explain. Um, now, I did see another UFO in 2007. 2007 was my last UFO sighting. And it was, um, it looked like if you took a drop of mercury um, and it was floating in the sky, a big drop of mercury, um, and it had a slight wobble to it. But it was, um, it wasn't perfectly round. It was slightly ovoid, kind of flattened, top and bottom. Um, but it actually seemed to intelligently interact with me. And so that was really peculiar. Um, you know, I'm a logical person. I think I'm pretty rational. <laughs> and I have a scientific background, a scientific bent, and I believe in the scientific method. So I try to, you know, try to figure things out. Um, I mean, I could talk about that particular one if you want me to. Since yes, it is please UFO. do. I'm sorry? I said, yes, please do. Okay. So... I was coming back from lunch, going back to the clinic where I worked. This was in southeast Oklahoma. And so I'm driving and I'm coming off of a bypass and getting onto a, you know, a highway. And all of a sudden, across what first I took to be across the road from me, what I first thought was, you know, my first glance at it, I thought it was a huge mylar balloon. But, um, you know, <laughs> after taking a better look at it, I realized, number one, it wasn't just across the road. It was across the valley, and it was a lot bigger than any balloon I'd ever seen. Um, anyway, it was, like I said, it looked like a huge drop of mercury. It was perfectly mirror-like. Um, it um, kind of wobbled. It had a bit of a, like a explain it a bit a bit of a wobble to it and so say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Traffic came up behind me, so I had to turn and, and 
go. But, <laughs> and so I'm at a, you know, 90 degree angle to it as I'm driving and I keep looking over at it, trying to figure out what it is, thinking it's some type of balloon or, or something. I just didn't know. And so I pulled off to the side of the road and watched it for a while and it starts ascending and uh, it's going up. And there was, a, there was a really peculiar cloud pattern that day. The clouds were like little puffballs of cotton and they were all in rows and, I'd never seen clouds like that before, and they were just all in lines and rows and looked like little puffballs. And, you know, I don't know what the cloud ceiling was that day or anything like that. I just, I really should have looked into it. I should have <laughs> remembered the day. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you what day it was. I just know it was in 2007. But um, as I'm sitting there on the side of the road, it's ascending, and I'm honking my horn and pointing at it, trying to get other people you know, to pay attention to it. Cause I mean, it has to be obvious. It's this huge thing out there above the valley and, um, you know, it just keeps ascending. And so I thought, okay, it's some type of weather balloon. It's gotta be a really new, cool, neat weather balloon. I can't explain why it doesn't have that teardrop shape that weather balloons have and why it's a perfect ovoid. I, I couldn't explain that, but I felt like it had to be some type of weather balloon or something. And so it keeps ascending, and so I pulled off into an area where there's a arena, like a sports center, and then an arena for horse shows and things like that. I pulled into their parking lot and sat and watched it, and as it ascends, I'm thinking, you know, it's going against the wind. <laughs> so that's, there's a problem with it being a balloon if it's going against the wind. And then it gets up to the level of the clouds. So the clouds had to be at least I would think 20,000 feet high. I don't think they were lower than that. And it gets up to the level of the clouds and it's still so big that it's like, I would say, you know, if you held a, a small lentil, you know, you know, in your fingers and then held it out from your arm at arm's length, it was about that large up at the level of the cloud. And so I'm thinking it's it's just got to be a balloon. I can't explain. Maybe it got into a different air layer. I'm thinking I know that air, air layers go different directions. Maybe it got into a different air layer, and so it's going against the wind. And <laughs> so then I'm watching it, and every time I would think of something that would explain it, it would do something to disprove what I had just thought. And so um, at one point, it actually goes around the cloud twice, Um you know, and then comes down and goes below the cloud and then goes around it the opposite direction. And, you know, I couldn't see it at all when it's on the other side of the cloud. And, you know, it was just, it was a mystifying experience that probably occurred over maybe 10 minutes. I don't know. And um, so finally I decided, you idiot, <laughs> you've got a small pair of little sports binoculars in here. Why aren't you looking at it through binoculars? And it hadn't even occurred to me. And so they were down in my console. So I am i didn't want to take my eyes off of it. So I'm reaching with my hands. And I finally found them and got them out and got them out of the case and everything. And then I um, had to just take my eyes off for, for a minute to look down to make sure I'm in the right direction. And I mean, it was just a second. I mean, maybe one second that I glanced down. And when I looked back up, not only was it gone, but the cloud was gone, that it had been like right under. So I don't know what happened there. I can't explain any of that. It was the most perplexing thing. <laughs> I was so 
so upset about it and everything. I went back to the clinic and actually told my nurse about it. And, you know, she was fairly new. We didn't know each other very well. So, uh, you know, it was, I was, I was probably pretty wide eyed about it. Um, because it just happened and everything. And then I had to go, you know, see patients the rest of the day. So it was it was an interesting experience. And, you know, I, since then, the only time I've seen a UFO that looks like that was in um, oh, Travis Walton's book, Fire in the Sky. Uh, there's actually a plate in there uh, of an artist's rendition of one of his experiences on a ship. And it shows in the background exactly, exactly what I saw, uh, this shiny, you know, mirror bright ovoid craft. So anyway, um, but that's the only time I've ever seen anything in the UFO literature about it. And so do you think it was kind of interacting or kind of um, moving around based on your observance? Or, or what do you mean when you were initially saying um, intelligent, um, you I said felt, intelligent I control? That. I felt that way, you know, I'm thinking it's a Mylar balloon and then, you know, it, it does something to prove it's not. And then I'm thinking it's a weather balloon and, you know, and it, it just seemed like every time I would come up with a rational explanation, it would do something uh, to disprove it. So um, I, I'm not saying necessarily that it was communicating with me, but it seemed that way. Uh, although I didn't hear any voices or, or anything like that, it just seemed like it was almost like a mischievous sort of interaction just to kind of blow my mind again. You know, well, I'm not trying to make a, I'm not trying to make a joke of it, but you know, after all these decades, you should know it's never a <laughs> weather balloon. <laughs> it's been a joke for forever. Yeah. But you know, you, you have to, you have to try to use logic and reason. Otherwise every little blip in the matrix will, you know, send you off course. But uh, some of them are quite easily explained. Um, so, I came other up than observing them, uh, were you were you actually having um, more and some kind of experiences? You know, um, that are that gave you some kind of insight, or is it simply one experience after another after another of just observing them, and then that's pretty much it? Mostly with that, it was just one experience after another, just enough to you know, rattle my cage because like, again, I, you know, you try to stuff all this into the background of your life and try to go on and just live a normal life. You know, <laughs> I'm a doctor. <laughs> you can't be, you know, you know, pondering all this stuff all the time or talking about it. Certainly you can't be talking about it or you lose credibility. I mean, I'm kind of risking my credibility just, you know, being on venues like this, but after my near death experience, that's one of the things I came back with was, um, knowing I had to talk about it and I have to explore it. And um, I think there's other people out there that are just as mystified, that are just as scared to come out of the closet as I am. Um, and this, so this was after your near-death experience, correct? I'm sorry? And this was after your near-death experience that you felt like you had to come out and talk about all these things? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was it so again? Yes. Was it specifically just a feeling that you were left with, or was there specific direction and things you were you were told? It's hard to explain because it's not it's not a verbal interaction. It's more of a. <laughs> it, it's not the way we communicate. You know, it's not a string of 
words or sounds. It's not like that. It's just impressions placed into your mind. Um, and so that's, you know, a, a major impression. I was, I was left with a couple of major impressions. Number one, that people that come to earth choose to come to earth and live a, a, you know, a physical existence. They're highly respected on that side. And because uh, not all conscious entities do that. Um, and then the other thing was that uh, I needed to share my experiences. And I have, I mean, I've, you know, talked about death and dying in the checkout line at Walmart, you know. So, um, yeah, so it's it's almost a compulsion. Um, if I don't do it, you know, I just get this sense of, a build up a stress. And so it's easier to just do it and, you know, deal with the ramifications and repercussions than to, to try to suppress it. Well, so basically, um, here we are, you had your near death experience when you were a child and then later on, uh, when you were older. And then of course, throughout the years, the different uh, UFO encounters, um, at what stage and, um, what, at what stage do you, I guess, observe your first Bigfoot or was that the one and only experience you had? Oh, I had three. Um, the first one was in August of 2001 and it was, um, I mean, I was within, I'd say a hundred yards of two <laughs> upright hominid, um, blonde colored, kind of a reddish blonde, strawberry blonde colored, um, hominids that were covered head to toe with hair um and i was on a turnpike um going north towards i-40 again in southeast oklahoma most of my stuff happens in southeast oklahoma apparently um sounds like a hot spot and, and i had just come up over a rise and i see these two you know beings striding <laughs> striding across a field they looked like they had just stepped over a fence i didn't actually see them stepping over the fence but the fence was right there and as I came up over the rise in the road and and I see them and one's like um like a head shorter than the other, but they looked exactly alike otherwise. Um very broad shouldered, no neck, um the head kind of blends kind of blends down into the shoulders. Um they weren't running. They were just kind of striding rapidly. They don't walk like a human does. But my first thought as I saw them, my first thought was that <laughs> it was people out in a Chewbacca out outfit uh, <laughs> from Star Wars. And then I realized, you know, it's, it's August. It's late August. It was over 100 degrees, according to my car thermometer. And you know, nobody in their right mind is going to be out in the middle of nowhere in, you know, Podunk, Oklahoma in Chewbacca outfits. And so then my next thought is, you know, you're, you're rapidly running through, <laughs> again, that rational, logical, trying to make sense of what you're seeing. Um, you know, I'm thinking ghillie suits because I'd heard about them, you know, with hunters and everything. And I'm, I discarded it for the same reason. Nobody in their right mind is going to be out there in a ghillie suit. I mean, this was, there were no buildings, no structures. This was just nothing but you know, an area where um, they had clear cut it for some reason. I don't know if they'd taken out a forest 
or if they were making a field or whatever. And then there was, for whatever reason, I was being allowed to regrow. And so it was just like, you know, two, three foot high little scrubby oaks and things like that growing out there. And um, they were striding into a, a thicker, denser area of taller trees. So, I mean, obviously I slowed down and <laughs> tried to get a really good look. Um, it's a turnpike. You can't turn around and go back. I didn't have a camera. I didn't have binoculars. So, um, you know, once I rubbernecked and, and watched them as far as I could until they strode into those trees, I, I saw no reason to try to break the law and go back because uh, I knew I wouldn't see them again. But, you know, they were they were not a person in a suit. As I watched them, I could see, I don't know if you know what the trapezius muscle is in the back. It's that big, it's a kind of a kite-shaped muscle that forms much of your outer layer of your musculature of your back. And the the hair that hung down off of that was longer than, it was like a cape almost. And you could actually see the bunching of their muscles as they stride. You could see the bunching of the muscles under, um, under their hair. <laughs> um, so it was definitely a creature, a, a living creature. They didn't have a snout. There was nothing sticking. I mean, I couldn't see the face so much except in profile, uh, but there was no big snout sticking out or anything like that. They were upright. They were big. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just blew my mind. I didn't know what I'd seen at that point. I had no concept that Bigfoot had ever been seen in our area of the country. I didn't really believe in Bigfoot. I was open-minded, I guess, about it. You know, Yeti, Bigfoot, all that. But I didn't really, you know, I'm a, I'll am believe it when I see it type of person. And I hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> But it didn't even occur to me that it was Bigfoot. I thought, you know, I'm thinking, did I just see into another dimension? Did I see into the past? You know, am I, am I seeing prehistory? What am I seeing? I don't know. I just, you know, scratched my head and went on. But then a year later, September of 2002, uh, <laughs> I won't go into why I was lost in the mountains of southeast Oklahoma, but there are mountains there, the Washita Mountains, and Again, it was a very hot day, and I had my second flat tire of the day, and I started walking in a very remote wilderness area, trying to... Um, it was a time when they were just coming out with flip phones, and you had call roaming, and you had call dropping, and I was just trying to get to a place where I was high enough to... Um, there weren't very many cell phone towers, and I was just trying to get to a place where I had reception. And by the time I got to that area, then my cell phone was almost dead and it was after dark and things were getting a little scary. I hadn't been able to get through to anyone. So I finally called 911 and there was a there's a boost on 911 <laughs> just if you're in, in, need an emergency. Um, it, it's kind of boosted. So um, I finally got to through to some people and they were sending some deputy sheriffs from the county to come look for me and and everything. So. The only source of light I had and the only thing to tell me time was my pager. I still have my pager on because I'd been at the hospital that morning. And <laughs> so um, I was dehydrated. I'd walked uh, probably about 10 miles at that point in the heat of the afternoon, and um, it was over 100 degrees. And I was fat and out of shape and, you know, I was pretty in pretty rough shape. I, at that point, lost one of my flip-flops and um, 
when it turned dark, I broke a big stick off of a tree and was trying to feel my way because I was falling into ravines and culverts, uh, not culverts, but um, just ruts and things like that on this old forest trail. And so anyway, about two in the morning, I finally learned that they knew where I was at and that they were going to come find me and I needed to stay put. And so <laughs> um, I sat down and I don't know if I slept. I can't imagine I slept because earlier in the night I'd heard some things that made me think I was being stalked by a, um, a mountain lion, a cougar, because I've had experience with cougars. And anyway, I was concerned about that. And so I can't imagine that I fell asleep, but I may have. I was exhausted. I may have passed out. I don't know. I just know that I came to my senses with something sniffing me in the face and um, the most rank smell you can imagine. And, um, you know, I'm thinking mountain lion <laughs> because that's what I, you know, sat down thinking I had to be careful of. So I came up swinging with my big stick and it wasn't a mountain lion. It was huge. It was um, dark and there was no moon. So I really couldn't see details at all. All I could see is when it, it ran up the slope um, and blocked out the stars, <laughs> then I could see that um, it was massive and it was on two, definitely on two legs. And anyway, it over the next about 30 minutes or so, um, it kept trying to sneak up on me and it would come in different directions. And I was using, you know, when it was out in the woods, I was using my hearing. I, my vision wasn't working at all. The only time I, my vision did any, any good is when it got close enough that it was blotting out the stars. And then I could see that, you know, it was very tall, <laughs> very wide, very big. You know, I couldn't see enough detail to see that it was covered in hair, but it was all one color. And, um, you know, there were no features or details, you know, no clothing, nothing like that. So anyway... Every time it'd get close, because the first time I sw swung at it with a stick, it, you know, charged off. Every time it would get too close to me, I would just scream and stomp and yell again and just charge it. Um, you know, I, I just figured I was dead. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was you know, a culmination of a really bad day, and I just figured I was dead. And after about 30 minutes of this, I couldn't take it anymore. I just, like, felt like... I had a sense of, I just didn't need to be there anymore. And I didn't care if it jumped on me. I was just too tired. I was just going to walk away. And so I started feeling my way, you know, down this forest road again <laughs> with my stick and my one flip flop. And they said I walked another two miles after that. Um, and it was about four in the morning when they finally caught up with me. Did and they so, uh, get you get helicopter, you helicopter or on foot or what? Foot? <laughs> The deputy sheriffs had uh, almost ruined their brand new uh, SUV, their Jeep SUV, two-wheel drive. Can you imagine in the back roads? Yeah, two-wheel drive SUV. This was a, a forest service road that had been allowed to just kind of, you know, decay. <laughs> so it, it had been a road at one point for forestry, but it wasn't in good shape. And so anyway, they, they finally caught up to me in their little Jeep Cherokee and, um, so they asked me why I didn't stay where I told them I was at, which was a fork in the road. And, you know, and I said, I couldn't, you know, I'm like, you know, almost hysterical. There's this really huge thing that was stinky and smelly and they didn't know what to think about me. They, they just were like scratching their head. Um, and then they didn't have any water. 
<laughs> they hadn't brought any water. And they said, well, the Forest Service guys that are coming up behind us have some water. And so they, they came up right then and they did have water. And so I'm drinking and I'm, you know, still explaining to the deputies why I had left. And the Forest Service guys are hearing this and they're like, well, that's Bigfoot. And I'm like, we don't have Bigfoot in Oklahoma. You know, I'd heard of Bigfoot up in Pacific Northwest and Alaska and things in Canada and stuff like that. But I said, we don't have Bigfoot in Oklahoma. Um, I'd never seen the legend of Boggy Creek. I'd never, I just had no knowledge of any of that. And so anyway, they said, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's seen around here all the time. And so then it just made sense. It made sense what had happened to me that night. It made sense what I'd seen the year prior, uh, you know, that, that whole thing. And then in 2007, I had my third sighting and it was no doubt about it. You know, it was within, um, I went back later and measured it. It's about 60 feet. You know, it it was in twilight, but <laughs> it wasn't darkness. And, um, you know, no doubt about it. I, I, I can't deny they exist. Um, so, you know, but again, that's the last time I saw Bigfoot was 2007. Last time I saw UFO was about 2012. Uh, that was a triangular one. So um, it doesn't plague me anymore. But... It's kind of sad because I really think I've I've read enough about it now. You know, I've read enough about Bigfoot. They don't usually hurt people. You know, I've read enough about UFOs that I think, you know, if a UFO landed out in the front yard and aliens got out of it, I'd go up and shake their hand or, you know, say hi. And, you know, if Bigfoot came out of the woods, I think I'd be okay with it. I'd, I'd just probably be cautious and try to observe it like I would any unknown, you know, entity but i don't think i would freak out and and everything like that so but now i don't have the opportunity because <laughs> mm-hmm. i haven't seen either one in, uh in years so anyway well Melinda, I, I know go ahead. go ahead well i was just going to say i think that's what all these experiences are about is helping me overcome fear uh, every one of them has helped me overcome fear and even talking on you know i'm a i'm an introvert even talking like i am right now talking publicly about all this, you know, it, it's, uh, it's overcoming fear. And so that's what it's, that's what a lot of this is about. It's, you know. Well, I know we're going, oh, know we're, we're going, starting off a bit backwards, a bit backwards, but, um, but uh, uh, cause you mentioned earlier about, you know, you didn't want to taint your reputation. Can you go a little bit about, um, which field of medicine and your doctor off and maybe a little bit of details about that? And there was somebody in comments asking if you, if there's any relations to Dr. Stephen Greer. So maybe you can clarify, <laughs> you can clarify that. Not, not to my knowledge, other than most Greers were once Clan McGregor. Uh, and apparently Clan McGregor got in trouble with some English king to the point where if you admitted to be being Clan McGregor, you were going to be beheaded or something. So um, a lot of people changed their names, and Greer was one of the ones that people took. Um, and so that's the only <laughs> – mm-hmm. <laughs> might be a connection there, but not to my okay. knowledge. I don't know him, and I'm not related to him. And I'm sorry, what was the first part of the question? Uh, just about your medical background, too, because oh, uh, I know you uh, you were saying. I'm a pediatrician. Um, I kind of did things backwards. I went to college and got a degree in biology and chemistry and then did some graduate work at the University of Houston where I met my husband and worked with him with the actual live cougar mascots, the, the actual mountain lions that they had on campus at the time because they were the Houston cougars. And... Um, then I just had a, 
pretty normal life for a while and became a medical technologist. And then when I was 33, I went to medical school and I'm a board certified pediatrician. I've been practicing now since 1998 as a pediatrician. So it's been a while. Um, that's so do you um, ever, I mean, um, I, I don't mean it as a joke, but do you ever bring any of that stuff uh, stuff up with patients or do you just kind of strictly stick to doctor business and leaving it at that? Since the near-death experience, I have brought up some things. Um, one For one thing, after the near-death experience for several years, I was seeing ghosts at work and to the point where it was alarming me. Um, and so I would talk to the nurses about it because there had been nurses that had mentioned that the nursery was haunted and various things like that. And there are certain parts of the hospital that were known to be quote unquote haunted. And I never had paid much attention to it. But after my near death ex experience, I started seeing things. And I mean, we're talking full body things that would then I was, I mean, on three occasions, I actually spoke to them for heaven's sake. I mean, how much more real could they have seemed to me than that? What did you one say? of them I moved out of its way <laughs> and then it disappeared. You know, so I spoke to it and moved out of its way and then it just like disappeared. So, um, say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You know, you can't explain stuff like that. So I've talked to the nurses about the ghosts. I've, you know, opened up a bit about Bigfoot at work. Um... And some about UFOs, but only to select people. I mean, you have to really be careful and, and not really to patients. I have shared with um, some people the near-death experience and the idea that, you know, it's not the end of us, that we're eternal. And, um, you know, we, we persist even after we shed this body, that sort of thing. But um, not a whole lot with patients, no. So uh, is it basically... Do you, I mean, like you said, people are a lot more open about this, but specifically in your field, do you find that to be the same case or is it still everything, you know, let's stick to science. Can this be proven? Is there, is there uh proof or like video, photo, whatever? Uh, what is well, the, the atmosphere? 
is purely anecdotal and medicine is very strict as far as anecdotal things. Um, you know, I can't prove any of it. It's all, I mean, I can, if they still have the 911 tapes, I can prove <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I can't, I can't really prove any of it. So I don't talk about it with my colleagues too much. I mean, I talked to them some about the near-death experience because it was pretty profound, but um, I don't talk about the UFO and Bigfoot because, you know, they're scientists and I just, being of a scientific bent myself, I just know how they would think about it. And, you know, you're afraid that it's going to cause them to perceive you differently um, and maybe doubt your ability to judge things. And so, you know, it, it's a risk becoming public about all this, but, you know, <laughs> I'm 63. So, you know, I, I just feel like if I had to retire, I could. And, um, you know, I just, I feel like it's important. I think reality is not what we think it is. I think we need to figure it out. And I think it's by talking to people that are experiencers that um, will have a direction to go in order to figure it out. So, you know, I just think it's important for people that do have something to lose to make this public so that we can get other people that, you know, in all walks of life, not just, you know, doctors, lawyers, federal judges, whatever, that would have a lot to lose, you know, if they became public. But, uh, you know, airline pilots, you know, you see how they were crucified for a while. I mean, you, you just have to be careful. But at the same time, until we make this acceptable to discuss, we're not going to understand reality. We're not going to understand consciousness. We're not going to understand what these different modalities are that are trying to wake us up to something beyond the ordinary that um, we seem to be missing. So, I don't know. Well, what I wanted to, we'll see, it's never too late, you know, and, and um, um, you know, for you coming out now, and having the scientific background. So for example, <clears throat> when, you know, when most of us, most people that I know that are into, you know, any of these models, whether it would be, you know, Bigfoot or aliens, or all these other things, you know, uh, no one that I specifically know uh, that is close to me is rejecting science. Of course, we want to kind of bridge that gap and figure out how can we pr prove this scientifically. But for example, in my case, it would require me then kind of putting everything on hold, going back to school and then learning all that needs to be learned, you know, while on top of that, maybe cramming all this other stuff into my head about all the experiences I've had and all this other stuff. So, you know, um, maybe with your background and, you know, you, you might help bridge this gap a little bit. So, for example, I would have... I mean, for example, like the way you described the muscles of these... Um, uh, uh, two uh, creatures, you know, two Bigfoot you've seen, you know, I would just say, oh, their muscles mo were moving, but you can identify which muscle, how it moved and all these other things to where, you know, it gives more details, more, uh, more validity to, to deciding. Do, do you understand what I mean? Yes, I do. I mean, they were very pretty. I have to say, you know, you think of Bigfoot as being all tangled and snarled and dark haired, but they weren't, they were beautiful. They had, flowing silky hair like a really pretty Irish setter, you know, when they're walking, that that rippling of the hair and the muscles. Um, they were pretty. <laughs> right. I mean, um, it, it wasn't 
you know, the usual concept of Bigfoot. But yeah, I understand that. I mean, and being able to know, because my background, even though I had a degree in biology, it was more like zoology and, you know, I studied animal behavior and things like that. And so, you know, I kind of know what's out there. I was kind of a naturalist, I guess, you know, a, a little bit. And, you know, I, I know what's out there and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. So it, it helps having that. But at the same time, over the years, because of all the things that have happened to me, I also recognize science doesn't have the answer. Religion doesn't have the answer. Um, you know, the answers are out there, I think, but I don't think we're going to find it in the conventional ways. Um, it's going to take some thinking outside the box. Um, so what would so, uh, what did you gather, basically, from all these different experiences, um, all the things you uh, uh, observed uh, what do you gather from overall uh, from from all of that? Is it just do you still just look at it as these you know uh, random wow events and leaving it at that, or did you were you kind of able to draw a bigger picture for yourself? Maybe especially with with the more of that in depth experience of the near death experience. Well, <laughs> I I think consciousness is not limited to the brain and the physical mechanism of the brain. I think the mind is not limited to the brain and the physical mechanism of the brain. Um, what it is, I don't know, but I think we persist beyond, you know, the physical body. So that's one of the takeaways I have. Um, part of it's getting over fear and learning that love is more important than fear. Um, I still have a hard time. It's not like I'm sitting around meditating all the time, you know, being in a great mood. I, I'm not. <laughs> if anybody should know, you know, what it's like out there and, and should be, you know, the perfect person, uh, you know, it should be somebody that's had a near-death experience. But you get back, you get caught up in life again and, you know, back, back in the old rat race of being in the physical body and all of its limitations and the emotions and all of that and everything. And, you know, it just... But having had those experiences, it also allows you to be sh shaken out of the ordinary and to perceive things differently. I, I see things on so many different levels now. I can, um, you know, see something, a, a tragedy or something like that, and think about it from the ordinary, you know, viewpoint that most people would have. Because I am a human being as well, I can share that viewpoint. But then I can also look at other aspects of it that, um, you know, that that type of overview has been given to me because of the experiences I've had that, you know, it's not all tragedy. It's not all loss. There is no end. <laughs> so when someone dies, then, you know, it, it's sorrowful and everything because you'll miss them. But it's, it's not the end of everything. Um, an aspect of them persists. I'm not saying they persist in the personality and ego, you know, that we all have here on Earth. But uh, there's an aspect aspect that would be recognizable that persists so um, um i wanted to ask you then um this this one this one last question unless there's something more that you would like to discuss and cover but i wanted to just tell everyone else watching uh, pretty soon we're going to go into q a so if you would like to talk to linda directly uh, please log in through telegram either on your computer or uh, phone and um 
uh, find the UFO Hub group. Um, the link is also in the description below uh, the video with, or if you're on Facebook, it's actually descriptions above. So join the chat. You'll see that uh, it's already going on and just uh, tap that little person with the raised hand and they'll tell me that you're in the queue and wanting to ask a question. Um, otherwise, you can simply just uh, comment. If you could please put uh, three stars down before you ask a question so I know it's actually directed towards a guest and they'll help me out a great deal. So uh, go ahead, please do that now. But uh, Linda, I wanted to ask um if it wasn't for your near-death experience as a child, do you think that kind of opened up for you to be able to to see all these different things like the craft and Bigfoot and and all of that? Or do you just think you were, in a way, kind of destined to just have these random occurrences occur, you know, happen to you? I don't know, because, you know, I've had some missing time. You know, I've seen UFOs, things like that. But yet my family doesn't have it. So when you hear about people that have a lot of UFO experiences and missing time and alien abductions, I mean, I have no recollection of any kind of alien abduction or anything like that. And uh, really no family, you know, recollections of those sort of things. So was that what triggered it for me? I, I really don't know, but quite likely. Uh, I, I just really don't know. But um I wanted to just mention one other thing, because um, you asked me kind of what the bottom line was. I had another experience that I would call a transformative or mystical experience. And I won't go into it unless somebody's really interested about it, but I'll just, you know, bottom line was um, I was briefly for just a little over 24 hours able to see how everything was interconnected. And it was without benefit of any kind of hallucinogenic <laughs> anything mm -hmm. uh, to my knowledge, unless somebody slipped me something. But um Everything's connected, and that's also another thing I took away from my near-death experiences. Everything's connected. Uh, it's hard to explain, um, and since the near-death experiences, I see things that I didn't see before, um, not just ghosts, which that only happened for maybe three years after afterwards, and then it's kind of faded. I still see things, but, you know, not full-body apparitions, I guess, that I talk to. But I still see energy that I didn't used to see and, you know, things that I'm really mystified by. And that's part of my exploration at this point is trying to figure out what these are. And is it meaningful? Is it something that can be measured? Is it something that I'm seeing? Is it a new sense? <laughs> you know, what exactly is it? But I mean, literally for 24 hours, I was able to see that everything was connected. I was connected to everything. It was like being in a, um, kind of a wireframe sort of situation where, you know, you move your hand and there's a whole bunch of connections to your hand. Everything in your visual field is um, connected to you. And it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, it was a very unique experience, but, you know, it, it left me with the feeling that everything in the universe is connected. Everything, you know, you, I, you know, and you get these weird insights. I can't explain it. Um, after having experiences like this, you get a lot of weird just insights that just pop into your head. <laughs> and you don't know where they come from. But um, they're interesting to ponder. You can't prove it, but they're interesting to think about. Um, but yeah, that was another takeaway. Everything's connected. 
Can you go maybe into one one specific one? For example, something I would assume you mean insights. That's something you usually didn't think about, but then it would just come to you and then make you look at it in a different way. Is this is that what you're talking about? Okay, so part of what I see is after that experience that that would have happened in about 2010, I think, where I had the 24 hours of seeing everything connected. Um, and there was like connected with like golden copper, what appeared to be filaments. <laughs> it's hard to explain. That seemed so real to me. I was afraid I was going to trip over them, that sort of thing. They, they seem quite real. Um, but <sighs> tell me again your question because I've lost the train. Sorry. I was just saying if you could maybe share uh, some of those oh, different okay. insights. But so I mean, besides that, everything is connected. Just sure. something else mm -hmm. that was it just things you weren't Some aware of before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was sitting on the patio and I was watching my cat Luna and she was walking across the patio. And since that occurrence, since that occurrence with the interconnectedness of everything, I can see these little filaments that seem to come out of my fingers and seem to come out of trees and twigs and leaves and everything. I mean, if I focus in a certain way, I can, I can see these things and they're, they're more like a distortion than they are a physical looking thing. <laughs> it's just that it's hard to explain. They're like little filaments that come out of everything. And I was watching her walk across the patio and these little filaments coming out of her. And, you know, they were coming out of her whiskers, out of her guard hairs. I could really see them in the semi-darkness. And it just occurred to me that what appeared to be her walking across the patio was really incoming energy that was acting upon like a like a matrix like there's like the universe exists as a as a single thing and it's the energetic input into these omnipotential particles that make us have the sense that we are actually walking talking breathing moving, um, when I move my hand across, you know, from right to left, it's actually an interaction of energy going into a physical, I don't know. I mean, I can see it in my mind, but it's hard for me to explain because it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it's like like the holodeck, you know, on Star Trek. Um, I'm probably dating myself, but <laughs> the idea that it's an energy going into an interface that's creating what we perceive as reality, that it's not truly physical, it's just an energy. Um, and we perce perceive it the way we do because that's how we're wired. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if it makes sense. Well, but, Melinda, um, I have a first question if, if you want to get into into that, those and um, sure. if something else comes to mind, please don't uh, don't hesitate to share. But this one is from um, M. Wing asking, uh, Linda, do you think that you could be a contactee? If I am, I'm not aware of it. Um, I, I did have missing time, and so it's possible. I've tried hypnosis. I've had no success with it. So, you know, if I am, I'm not aware of it. Okay. Uh, this one is... Uh, going to be on, on telegram uh nathan raised his hand uh nathan unmute yourself and go ahead and ask your question please yes hello uh can you hear me okay yes we hear you just fine okay um 
Yes, I, I resonated with a lot of what you're saying. I, I, I and I've, I feel like I've been recently, more recently here than than ever before, coming to similar conclusions or or finding the same value in the the insights you were speaking of here recently. Um, but one of the things that I was kind of worried about here is that you know, like you're like like so now it always seems like it seems like now is the time. Like now is the time. It's a big shift happening. Um, and and as as you said that you would think somebody who has had a near-death experience would come back and be like the perfect human, but you're not, you fall back into the, the, the grind, the daily grind of life. And you start to, and you know what to do, you know what to do to be better. Everybody does. Um, now how, like what kind of insights, how did you come to that realization and, and how important is it that we be as perfect as we can be right now? Or do you, do you understand what I'm trying to ask? Like, how did you get to that? Cause I know you said it, you, you fall back into the daily grind, but how, how important is it that we, that we try to, be as perfect as possible because I don't, I don't think we have to strive for perfection. Um, you know, I don't think that's expected of us. You know, one of the things I also took away from the near death experience is that there is no hell. Um, there's no way that the place where I went and all that love that hell could even be a concept of that. I mean, I just, I'm sorry. I just, I can't believe in hell. I think it's a, it's a human construction, only. but, um, you know, I think we just have to strive to be the best we can and constantly rein ourselves in and not allow that um, the ego and the biological animal that we are to be at the forefront, to try to consciously um, interact with a higher self or whatever you want to call it, a higher aspect of being on a daily basis and you know just try to at least stay connected to that and keep open to that and uh, do the best you can but I don't think perfection's expected right thank you Nathan I appreciate your question uh, Melinda the next one is from fab 22 asking um, have you tried some techniques to deepen or access memories of your NDE like hypnosis and would you recommend or not doing so I remember a lot about the NDE. Um, part of what I remember is being told I wouldn't be allowed to take it all back. For one thing, you can't bring it all back where I was at. Um, again, I had that 360 spherical vision. I was not, you know, I was not um, having binocular vision. I could see all around, perceive all around. I had um, perceptive abilities that I don't have in the human body. Um, and... You, you can't bring that back. You, you can't translate it back. You can't translate a lot of it back. And so I was told that I wouldn't be allowed to bring it all back. Um, you, you bring back impressions and thoughts. Um, I was also left with the impression that at some point it would open up and I would be able to remember more. That has not happened so far. Uh, I remember vividly what happened. Um, I actually put it on the NDERF, uh, Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, NDERF.org, uh, by Dr. Jeffrey Long. I actually put it on my experience on that. Um, it's under a pseudonym if anybody wants to look at the actual boring, um, you know, reconstruction of it. It's under Jillian M, G-I-L-L-I-A-N-M. So, um that's the pseudonym that was provided for me because you can do it anonymously. But, um, you know, I did that 
reconstruction of the event maybe six months after the actual occurrence. So it's pretty fresh in my memory and everything, but I don't think I've forgotten anything. I just haven't gained any more. Okay, sorry. I thought you were going to follow up with something else. Well, um, the if you if you can maybe if you would like if you send me a link to, specifically to that forum, that's also something that I could add um, okay. to this to the description. So, um, but um, do you foresee yourself in the future of continuing of having all these different um, experiences or whatever may come, or or do you think it's just kind of take it all in? ponder more about things and move kind of move forward in life with, with this new understanding. I think moving forward with life with a new understanding is a lot of it. Trying to come to terms and understand what I'm seeing when I see these energies and things, that's what I'm interested in because it's not anything I've seen. I mean, I, you hear about people seeing auras and this, that, and the other. It's not like that. It's, it's, um, it's something different. Like, <laughs> so right now we're having um, an outbreak of bagworms. I don't know if you know what bagworms are. They're this these horrible little caterpillars that eat your trees, and they're you know they're just really a problem. And they hang down from the trees as you're driving down the road, and you know you're bumping into them because they are they spin silk out, and then they try to go from point A to point B by uh, dropping down on a string of silk. And so you're bumping into them on the road, and I can actually see them before I actually see the bagworm hanging at the end of the silk. I can actually see that there's one coming up because I can see the lines going into the silk. Even though that silk is so transparent, I, there's no way I can see it from a distance. But mm -hmm. I can see the distortion that it causes in the background of everything, if that, if that makes any sense at all. And so I can tell when I'm about to run into one of those poor little bagworms uh, driving down the road. But, um, you know... That sort of thing, I, I would like to try to figure that out. Why have something that you can see if you don't know the purpose of it and what good it is? Mm -hmm. <laughs> All it does is just kind of disturb your day. Um, so, well, um, Linda, I want to ask you, oh, I'm sorry, Melinda, I would like to ask you about, um, so I, I understand, you know, uh, so for example, I went to school for computer science and but that doesn't mean I know the all be all about computers. So I, of course, don't make the same assumption about doctors that, you know, uh, they would know the all be all about medical science. I mean, of course, there's journals you can read, you know, if I'm not mistaken and find out more and learn more. But so I'm not trying to attribute this to you that, oh, maybe you know something more about this. But what about an actual um somehow a correlation between your experiences and a physical change to your body to where, you know, it makes your eyes more receptive, you know, um, and, and maybe, you know, certain other physical traits. Do, do, did you ever think about that? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. What I would say is it's not our, uh, what I, I even tell this to patients, <laughs> okay? We don't see with our eyes. We don't hear with our ears. Um, we see, our, our eyes are a mechanism, very much like a lens in a microscope or, you know, binocular lenses. And it's our brains that interpret the data and give us the ability to see. Um, and the same with hearing. It's our, it's our auditory cortex that allows us to hear. Uh, not the ear itself. The ear, ear is just a, like a drum. It's <laughs> truly an ear drum. Uh, it just vibrates. And so, you know, both of them are collecting, collecting mechanisms to get the data to the brain. And so I would say, if anything, it's not a change in my vision. It's a change, well, not a change in my eyes. It's a change in my brain. Um, you know, but I guess I want to know why and what it is and is it measurable scientifically? And, you know, you know, are other people, I would love to know if other people are starting to see things like this, you know, and that's, and that's part of my purpose is, you know, when you come out of the closet, <laughs> you want to know if there's other people coming out right. too for the same reasons. And, you know, so that's, you know, being left with, I mean, that's not the only thing I see. I see little tiny motes of light. I mean, they're tiny, infinitesimal, tiny things that zip in and out of my fingers and out of other things. Um, you know, I I just feel like it's a mystery, you know. Some of the things I see, it's just mysterious. Like, in the wintertime, I can be walking outside and there'll be stalks of, you know, out in the field, there'll be, you know, we live in the country, so there'll be stalks of, you know, some type of vegetation that's dead. And um, I can actually see lines of force between the stalks. And that's what it's like. It's like a line of force, like a magnetic line of force or something like that sometimes. If I'm driving down the road and, you know, we, we live in a rural area, so driving anywhere, you often are driving past old uh, places where they used to have old signs back in the 50s and 60s that had a metal um, frame. And then there's a lot of metal fences. And around these, anything metal coming out of the ground, any kind of metal pipe, metal post, metal fence, I see lines of force. I mean, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, you know, I would just love to see if other people are having that kind of experience and what they think it's all about. And, you know, is it just an upgrade in the brain or... You know, what is it and what, what purpose is it? You know, so far other than detecting bagworms before I actually get up close enough to see them, I, I can't tell much purpose. Right. So. 
Well, Melinda, the next question um, is from uh, Nick asking, um, are you convinced that when you pass away, you'll go to the same place um, as in your NDE, or do you feel you'll need to earn it? By earning it, I mean meditating, be kind to others, positive, and so on. You know, I don't. the place that I went to was not the end-all, be-all. It wasn't, you know, I had a sense, it's hard to explain, I had a sense of kind of a trophism, a, a sense of where God was when I was there. And it was, I wasn't there where God is, okay? Or, or whatever you want to call the creator, whatever your personal belief structure is. Um, I wasn't there, but I had a sense of where that was. And, you know, that's the accomplishment is actually getting back there. So... I'm not saying <laughs> that um, I don't I don't know where I went uh, and I don't know that I'll go back there again when I die. I really don't know. But uh, I know that it was awesome and I'm not afraid of death. And, um, you know, I, I just I don't know where it was, what it was. And, you know, I just know that I'd go there again in a minute. OK, well, um, Melinda, for you being uh, you said pediatrician, correct? Mm hmm. And so, um, I uh, can't believe I'm asking you the silly of a question. That means uh, you're you're basically dealing with children most of the day, correct? Mostly babies at this point. I'm okay. functioning as a pediatric hospitalist, so I work mostly in the hospital, mostly in the nursery, and then the occasional inpatient. We don't have a very high inpatient census, but we have lots of babies. Well, so. the reason why I'm asking that. Um, uh, Star Brothers asking or saying, making a statement and kind of jotted my memory about, he says, super kids can see colors and um, uh, read blindfolded. Is Melinda aware of that? So from your experience um, with your background, is that also something that you might be willing to to look into and see what that could be all about? I've read about children like in China that have uh, extra sensory abilities that uh, mind-boggling. Um, unfortunately, in, in our country, there's not a lot of there, people aren't receptive to that. Um, you know, and I think it's a shame because once children outgrow a certain sense of magical thinking, then they lose a lot of that ability. And so, um, but there are some places in the world where they actually encourage it, and I think it's easier to uh, perhaps study there. But, I mean, it fascinates me. I just don't know much about it. So I'll let you finish off on, on your, uh, uh, you know, with any final thoughts you might have. But before that, I have a quick question. What does your husband uh, think about, you know, all of this? Well, let's see. I'm trying to think of all the times. Okay, so he was the one that actually saw the first UFO, the, the diamond-shaped one. He was the one that actually spotted it. I was actually asleep. So, you know, he saw that. He saw a UFO out in California when he was a young person that did some maneuvers that, you know, just didn't make any sense. They were just right-angle turns and things like that. So he's always kind of believed in UFOs. And then, you know, we had that one that drove over the top of us <laughs> and, um, you know, in the 2000s. And so I'm trying to think of other things he's experienced with me. We were one time talking like a couple of feet from each other, just chit-chatting, talking about something. And then, you know, 
about three feet from us came a disembodied voice saying an entire sentence in another language. And we both looked at each other. You know, we knew what we'd heard. <laughs> there was no radio or anything else nearby, you know. He has, um, I used to have a, a lamp, one of those touch lamps. You know what I'm talking about? You touch the yes. base and it turns yep. on. And it had three different settings. And um, when we were moving up here, when we are making the transition up here to northeast Oklahoma, where I live now, um, <laughs> he would, um, he sent the lamp with me when I was in an, an apartment while we were trying to move everything up and and find a new place to live before we settled on this farm that we're on. And um, so the lamp was there and I started noticing I would, I would leave for work and I'd come back and the lamp would be on. And I'm, I'm a stickler about not wasting energy. So Mm -hmm. it really disturbed me. So I'd make sure, you know, that the lamp was off and it'd be on. And so I'd come home. And so I got to where I started talking to the lamp, which is kind of stupid, but (laughs) you know, why are you turning on? And it would start, it would start going through the different, you know, the three different settings and I'm not anywhere near it, you know? So I got to where I could ask yes, no questions about it. And it would actually, you know, respond. And then I just got too weirded out by it. And so I just like put the lamp in the closet, (laughs) (laughs) but then when we bought our farm and moved into the farm, he, he took the lamp and put it in, you know, in one of his rooms and, I was talking to him. He was in there and I was just talking to him and it starts, it comes on, you know, and we're both across the room from it. There's no, no way. And so, you know, I, I had told him how it had been doing and what it was, it had been doing. He thought I was crazy. And so we sat there and interacted with it, you know, would ask it questions and yes, no questions and stuff like that. And then not long after that, it, it, whatever caused the the touch aspect of the thing mechanism to work quit working and so you know it went to the garbage pile but um you know so he got to experience things like that he's you know got to see a few of the things i had to deal with but he's very supportive um you know he doesn't ridicule me he's seen enough of the weirdness and and everything and he he's not seen bigfoot but um he was, he's a jogger and he was jogging on a back road, a back, back trail where we used to live in Southeast Oklahoma, not far from our home. And he went jogging underneath a bluff and a huge boulder went flying over him, um, not to try to crush him or hurt him or anything, but over down across the road and down the hillside. And it wasn't, you know, he heard a noise and that sort of thing and, you know, sees this thing flying, flying across the road. And it's not like it fell down. It's not like it rolled down the cliff or anything like that. This was hurled by something. And in the same area, he had something yell at him that was, he said it was so loud that it like vibrated your lungs and your chest, (laughs) that sort of thing. Like when you're in a concert, you know, and the bass is real heavy. So, you know, you know, he believes it. So well, at he's least, supportive. Yeah, the reason why I was asking, at least he is supportive, because sometimes in um, um, stories I've heard and, and personal experiences of close friends, you know, it, it creates too much friction if the if the partner is not into the metaphysical in general. And so, you know, sometimes there's divorces, all kinds of things. But I'm glad everything's, you know, you have you have somebody who you can, you know, share your thoughts and experiences with. Um so, Melinda, I wanted to just ask you if there's something specific you would like to finish off with, um, unless there's something else you would like uh, to talk about and cover. I'm, I'm trying to think. 
I mean, I've had so many things over my lifetime. I, w- I would love to know if, if any of your listeners have ever had what I call teaching dreams. Um, so this happened mostly when I was younger, uh, childhood, young adulthood. And I would say it doesn't happen much anymore. But I often uh, had dreams where I was other people. Um, you know, they, they seem like a dream, except they're extremely vivid. It was like actually living it. And I would actually wake up with memories of relatives that I didn't have, you know, like Aunt Sally that I don't have and Uncle Bob that I don't have. And with the associated emotions about how I felt about them. And I wasn't always female. I was sometimes male. Um, so that was really disconcerting as a child to wake up from a dream where you had been an adult male and that sort of thing um, with a whole lifetime of memories and interactions and, you know, that sort of thing. One time I was actually, I mean, it's UFO Hub. So if you want to hear some weird UFO type stuff, I can tell you a couple more stories. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you have time for that. Yeah, no, I mean, we do. We're not, we're not restricted. You know, in any way, it's just I'm respectful of your time. So if you have something else that you would like to get off your chest, please do. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Also, one of these dreams was... Um and again, they were, they were very vivid. It, it was like actually living it. it. It wasn't like the usual dream, which is fragmented and weird and doesn't really make a lot of sense when you wake up. These were weird. They were like actually being there. So I don't know, maybe I was there. <laughs> so it kind of harks back to the person that had the question whether I was a contactee. I don't know. But I remember being in like a round room that had a series of um, – it was very futuristic. This probably happened when I was a preteen. Um, and it was a very futuristic, nothing that I'd ever seen in in reality. It was like um, a roundish room. And it was like a kind of a series of rows of seats with kind of a desk-like thing in front of it, kind of like an auditorium, but very small and round. Um 
on one across the, from the seats were it was like a, a blank screen, which at the time we didn't have screens like that. We didn't have big screen TVs. You know, we had the old cathode ray t- televisions and stuff like that. So I'd never seen anything like that. But it was like the entire wall was a screen. And on the wall was um, first we were in this room and we were reading a story that was being projected upon the wall. And it was in cursive writing. I remember that. And it was about a battle that was taking place. And so we're reading the story of this battle. And then all of a sudden the screen switches to an actual, like a movie of the battle. And it wasn't humans. I was a human sitting in that classroom, but what I was witnessing up on that screen was, um, it's hard to, it was, they were upright. They were bipedal. They were slender. They almost looked like they had um, kind of an exoskeleton that was maybe like chitin, like insects have. Uh, Their head was very different than ours. Um, Large eyes. (laughs) And they were fighting, you know, killing each other. And then all of a sudden, it went, so it went quickly from reading this to seeing it. And then being sucked into it, and I was a part of it, and I was one of the, one of the combatants, and I was actually this this creature, this being, and I had a sense that I was like a warrior, and that I lived for battle. I mean, I'm a kid, you know. I I hate violence, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I uh, avoid all kinds of bullying and violence and all that, you know, on the playground and stuff like that, and so. Um, I just remember, you know, he loved battle. He lived for it. They were indoctrinated to believe that that's what their existence was all about, was to fight and for glory and, you know, see how many. Um, I remember on the, the area where we would have our um, collarbone, okay, there was like an external chitin-like um, protrusion. And... Instead of having medals, you know, we would hang medals on a uniform. They actually, I actually, (laughs) as this this dude, had inlays. It was like cut into the chitin were inlays of, you know, markings in, I don't know if they were stones or, I have no idea, but various things were inlaid into this chitin that indicated the battles I had won and the honors I had received. And, you know, I just remember... Coming back from that dream, oh, and then, so, and then I came out of that warrior, you know, who lived for battle and bloodlust and was killing and maiming and everything, and I came back out of him and back into the classroom, into my my regular kid body, and um, then we were shown, somehow we were shown simultaneously all three, the written word the visual and then the being it. I, I, I can't explain how it happened. I just remember that that's what happened. And I, I don't understand it because how can you see, how can you experience all three things at the same time, two visual things and one experiential thing? I just, I don't know anyway, but that's the way it was. And so then when I woke up the next morning and remembered the dream, um, 
I just remembered understanding why some people, you know, love to fight and that sense of bloodlust and glory and everything else. Um, it just helped me to understand that aspect of human nature, even though it wasn't a human that I saw. Um, but I guess that's the most interesting teaching dream I had, but I had lots of them and most of them involved, um, serious situations that I was questioning, um, and then I'd fall asleep and I'd get some kind of answer in my dream by being another person and seeing things from their perspective and experiencing their life and what it was like. So I'd love to know if any of your listeners have experiences like that. Well, if they um, if they get a chance to write it down and um, uh, you know, mention something, I'll, 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 of course, convey it to you. Um, well, I mean, this uh, Donna... Topez from she's on Facebook says the the dreams are definitely past life re- remembrances. Interesting. So it's just a sta- more of a statement she's making. Um, well, one yeah. of them actually is more futuristic. Like I was seeing into the future. I mean, it, it's things that we have nowadays, but it's nothing that I'd experienced at that time in my life. Um, as far as a skyscraper where I could see out and see. Um, like the windows were made out of glass. The, the walls were made out of glass, I should say. It's like a, up in a skyscraper. It's very futuristic and that sort of thing. So I don't think that it's all, I mean, but again, once you've had that near-death experience where you've gone to that timeless place, you realize that there really is no time. Um, you know, it's all the eternal now and it's all happening at once. And so. Right. Well, I mean, possibly as, as uh, you know, people keep watching and rewatching this interview today, you know, um, I know it would not be probably the best thing to be scouring, you know, comments all the time. But, you know, sometimes people do answer then, even though they might, you know, whoever's watching now, they might not do it in this at this instant. Um, but it's um, I don't know if, if that could be considered the same thing. I usually um, use uh, that sleeping state and and. And sometimes dreams in general tells me solve problems. If I have something going on, you know, I really just kind of, you know, uh, not that I'm sitting there and kind of intentionally saying, okay, I'm putting this intent out that I would like a solution to a problem. I just basically go to sleep trying to figure this out and then basically wake up the next morning. I was like, aha, I got the answer, you know. And, of course, it's not quite the same, you know, than what you just described. But, um, you know, it's it's... I guess you eventually learn when you find out what you need to, you know, find out. So anyway, that's the closest I can kind of relate to personally to what you were just saying. Yeah, I think it sleep helps sort out our unconscious and subconscious and what we've consciously dealt with, you know, in our day-to-day life. It, it definitely helps us sort it all out. And sometimes it's more profound than that. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, uh, Melinda, thank you again very much. I really appreciate you, you know, connecting with me. And well, actually, I reached out to you after Rain uh, introduced, introduced as I guess over email. So um, I know I was busy at that time, so it took me a little while to to uh, to write to you. But you know, I'm very glad you'd be able to talk to me today and and just share your perspective because uh, you know there's. At this point, because we're at this weird stage where, you know, it's all about these experiences and things learned and, you know, what is so important about that, that the conveying of, of these experiences is, is the most important part to people out there. Because not everyone 
you know, has the same educational level. Not everyone has the same experiences, you know, but at least just through sharing, we can kind of create our own little library of information, you know, for each other so that others can reference and go, oh, okay, there's this person who had similar experiences as I, as I did. And, you know, um, I'm always, maybe I'm too naive. Every time I talk to people, I always, uh, you know, take the approach of, they're not going to, you know, lie to me. They're going to tell me however they experience it, that that's how they'll convey it, you know. And, um, you know, uh, you can just tell when you speak to people what they're, what they're talking about because I've never experienced uh, or anyone that I've personally talked to and interviewed where I could, where they're just kind of fishing, if you, if, if you, if you understand what I mean. You know, so, um, yeah, well, so I'm I'll, hoping that this library of information. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just hope that when Ray uh, Hernandez and the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute come out with their um, the, the academic reality. research do, they're, they're, they're going to be wanting to find people that are experiencers and do the same thing that they did with the UFO, um, the Beyond UFOs book that they did, where they actually did scientific research and actually disprove some of the myths that had been pervasive in ufology um, as to, you know, people that experienced this and that it was a negative experience and that sort of thing. So what the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute will be doing now is this new research will be about the other modalities, not just UFOs and contact and that sort of thing, but uh, the other modalities that you can contact non-human intelligence, whether it's from through shamanism or astral projection or out-of-body experiences, you know. Um, right. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover now. So there's NDEs, OBEs, UFOs, spirits, uh, prayer, remote viewing, um, hallucinogenic journeys, uh, non-human intelligences, and so on. I mean, there's, there's a lot. Right. And I, I just hope that people will participate in that research so that we can get people that are good experiencers to um, be a part of the data. Uh, it'll be anonymous, of course, um, but, you know, when they actually come out with the research, I hope a lot of people, because, I mean, the more data you have, the more valid the research is. If you have right. 2,000 people versus 10,000 people, the, the data is a lot more valid if you have a higher number. So It's I coming people, out, uh, yeah, it's coming out October 1st, and I hope people do get it, you know, also to read your chapter as well. Well, the book is coming out, but the actual research is still being formulated how it's going to the methodology and mm -hmm. the questions that'll be asked. I mean, you know, that'll be a part of it is determining what the questionnaire will, will include. Um, but I just hope people will take part in the questionnaire that will be a part of the results uh, of the scientific study. Okay. All right. Well, Melinda, thank you again very much. I appreciate it. Um, so just, uh, I'll talk to you in a second. Please hang tight. Don't hang up on me. But I uh, just want to say okay. goodbye to the audience. Um, everyone else watching, thank you very much for join, joining both of us today. Um, I hope you got something out of it uh, next week on Wednesday. I promise this time I won't skip out. We're going to have open lines where you can call in and share your stories um, on, on the live stream. And then, of course, I already have a guest lined up on Friday, but I'll talk about that more next week. So, but I appreciate you all again for tuning in. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you again. And um, I hope we get to talk to each other again soon. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.